This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease i think people don't grasp how often this happens maybe as many as one out of every 10 people who are sentenced to death are innocent. Now, if one out of every 10 planes crashed, people would demand that something be done about it. Nobody would fly anymore. But since most people don't have anyone in their family or anyone in their immediate circle that are sentenced to death that's being executed, it's just being swept under the rug. Hi, I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. On May 6, 1993, three eight-year-old boys were found murdered, stripped naked, and hogtied with their own shoelaces. While there were no witnesses, DNA evidence, or concrete leads that connected Damian Eccles and his two friends, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. and Jason Baldwin, they became known as the West Memphis Three, by the way. Police arrested them anyway. Now, some say it was simply because of the way they looked. It became one of the biggest murder trials of our time. And after being sentenced to die from lethal injection, Damian Eccles was released after serving 18 years on death row. Today, he's here with his wife, Lori, who married him while he was still behind bars, speaking out on life after being sentenced to die and why he may truly never be free. So, Damien, if you can, paint for us a picture for everybody of what life was like in West Memphis, Arkansas. Describe what your childhood was like. Well, you know, my family, uh, we lived in a state of incredible poverty. You know, when I was born, my mother was 15 years old. My father was 16 years old. In our world... In our life, 
it's you know no one had ambitions no one was looking down the road for something better to happen something bigger to happen it's almost like you are just going from day to day trying to survive and that's all you have time to think about um you know i dropped out of school when i was in ninth grade and that's still more education than anyone else in my family has you know mm-hmm. if you look back through my family tree you're not going to find uh, like college degrees or high school diplomas anything like that and my family in that regard was not anything out of the ordinary at all. You know, we were like for our world, the people surrounding us, the other families around us, that was pretty much the way everyone in that area lived. So in the middle of all this, these three kids get murdered. And that environment contributed somewhat. And it's not unique. Your your personal story you're probably poorer than most, but there are other poor people in the country. But the environment in West Memphis allowed the possibility of three, turns out, innocent men to have been in prison and put on death row. How did that come about? And what does that look like for yeah. the average American? That's one of those things. I think people don't grasp how often this happens. You know, we've done talks all over the country with, uh, you know, people involved with the Innocence Project and the Southern Poverty Law Center, things like this, Brian Stevenson. These people are now estimating that maybe as many as one out of every 10 people who are sentenced to death are innocent. Mm. Now, if one out of every 10 planes crashed, people would demand that something be done about it. Nobody would fly anymore. But since most people don't have anyone in their family or anyone in their immediate circle that are sentenced to death that's being executed, it's just sort of slipping under the rug, uh, being swept under the rug. Uh, it's one of those things that happens all the time. I, I try to make people understand that my case was nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever. The only thing that might made my case – uh, memorable is that we were fortunate enough to have a documentary film crew in the courtroom while the trial was taking place who caught the entire thing on film. That is the only reason that I am not just as dead today as everyone else that this happens to. So not to belabor, but you're in a community where, and I'm just describing to everybody, you're wearing glasses, I know, because of being in a tiny cell, which we'll get to in a second, in solitary confinement, this destroyed your ability to, to deal with light. Uh, you've, you've got a beard, you look like sort of like ZZ Top, but a handsome version. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the other thing, sort of strange. You're a very handsome man, and yet if I saw you on the street, I'd, I'd be curious. I'd be trying to figure out what's going on. You're tatted all over, mm-hmm. um, and you probably look different than most of the people that were on the jury deciding if you're innocent or not. Absolutely. So when these three poor little boys get murdered, and part of the reason I'm so animated about this, like I feel terrible that you were on death row. I feel as angry that a man who's a murderer and a pedophile. Walked free. Exactly. So we didn't protect the other people in West Memphis. So why would they even come to you? How did they pick the three of you? You didn't even know one of the people that well that was your apparently accomplice. It's... A really long, complicated story, to be honest. There was a um, uh, – they're not exactly police. They were like a juvenile task force who – you know, they, these were some incredibly shady people. Uh, one of them was eventually f- forced to resign whenever he was caught molesting teenage boys. Another one eventually went to prison for stealing from well, why, the police Why would department. they pick you? They could have picked anybody out of the phone book. It was – one of these guys used to come through our neighborhood and – terrorize teenage boys. He would pick up teenage boys and say, either you give me a blowjob or you're going to jail. 
we were constantly at war with these people, like trying to avoid them, trying to hide from them, trying to stay out of their reach. I mean, these people were absolutely horrendous. Uh, and they just latched onto us. We were the main ones that they focused on. We weren't the only ones they focused on by any stretch of the imagination. But for some reason, we were the main ones that they focused on. And what was it like sitting in the courtroom, knowing you're innocent, believing the evidence supports that and hearing the judge say, oh, actually it was a jury first saying, you're guilty. It's really hard to articulate just because you're in such a deep state of shock and trauma. You know, people who saw the documentaries, the actual courtroom footage always say, you know, whenever they came in and they, they read, they sentence you to death not once and not twice but three times and you're just standing there, you know, not really – acting like you're upset about it in any way. You know, you seem so calm. I try to make people understand what you're seeing is not calm. It's shock and trauma. You know, if you've ever been like severely beaten, if you've ever been punched in the head, you know that a lot of times it doesn't immediately register as pain. It's more like, you know, bright flashes of light, a loud noise, you're really disoriented, almost like you can't keep your feet up under you. When you are being sentenced to death, it is like being repeatedly punched in the head. So you're put in solitary confinement. Just to be clear, I wrote this down, 12 feet by 9 feet, right? Yes. Besides destroying your eyesight, what else did it do to you that has, even today, years since your release, it still impacts you? We didn't realize a lot of the effects that it was having on me until after I got out. Uh, You know, keep in mind that whenever I went into prison, I was still a teenager. Uh, My brain had not even finished forming yet. When you're in there in that environment, your brain does not form in the same way that people out here's brain has an opportunity to form. So, for example, we did not know until I got out that things like facial recognition, voice recognition had all been damaged. Uh, It was almost the the only way that I can compare, you know, people think that going to prison is like this devastating thing, and it was, but honest to God, when I got out, it was equally devastating. The day I walked out of prison, it screwed me up just as bad as going to prison did because I was not equipped to deal with what people out here think of as regular life. It has taken me a long time to try to learn things that people out here take for granted. Was there ever a moment sitting in that cell, staring at the ceiling at three in the morning, because you probably couldn't tell what time it was anyway, that you just said, I'm done. I I can't do this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's not like you're making a choice to give up. It's more like you feel like you don't have any choice but to give up. You know, it's, 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 it's not like saying, I'm not going to run another mile. It's like when your body says you cannot run another mile and you collapse. There were several times when I would experience stuff like that. And it happens on different levels. You know, sometimes it's on an emotional level where you just feel completely and absolutely emotionally crippled, devastated. So you feel like you can't go on in that way. Other times it was physical, you know, not just stuff like um, being confined in a cell with no daylight, uh, no fresh air, but you're also eating absolute garbage in there. When you try to explain to people what you eat in prison, it's not anything that people out here understand. You know, it's not something that you will ever go into a store and find. Like if you tell people, like they'll say, what did you have for lunch today? And you say box meal. 
That's that's the name of a food-like substance that you eat in prison. So you suffer extreme uh, nutritional deficiencies. Um, it's it takes a toll on you in every way that it can possibly take a toll on you. It destroys you. There's lots more when we come back. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety? struggling to find restful sleep or plagued by a restless inability to focus it's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living welcome to amen university founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert dr daniel amen dr amen alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions from debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry our courses are meticulously crafted to target at these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. One reason you should all be listening carefully to this is and you stopped the audience down uh, when you said this on the show, that 99.99% of people are, are not going to die in prison. Exactly. And so when we do this to our prisoners, it's not whether they're good or people or bad people. The fact they managed to come back out. So I'd rather spend my money to get people to be a better match for society than really sociopaths who've been so damaged, partly because of what we may have done to them, partly by because of what they were before they went there, uh, they cause more issues for society. Yes, it's one of prison is a really big business in the U.S. You know, it is a a very big source of income. They call it now the prison industrial complex, where we know that certain things lead to lower rates of recidivism, and we know that certain things lead to higher rates of recidivism. We give lip service to you know rehabilitating people, keeping them out of prison, but in actuality. The prison system is built on 
making people come back. You know, one example is we know now that the more connections a person has in prison with people outside the prison, family, friends, support systems, the less likely they are to come back. The prison system is designed to try to destroy those connections. They want you to come back into prison because that's more money they make. Well, speaking of connections, your wife, Lori, is here. How did you hear about Damien and and what— How did did you connect with him? Mm -hmm. And at what point in the—how long had you been in jail when Lori found you? I was living here in the city, and I'm an absolute—I love film. And um, I always went to a film series at MoMA, Kudnu, Director's New Film. MoMA's Museum of Modern Art. Yes. And— in actuality, the, the documentary Paradise Lost was being premiered at that festival. And How long ago was that this? That would have been 1996. And again, just to everyone's on the same page, I know the story so well, but I don't want to skip over. Paradise Lost was the documentary they were shooting, right, when Damien right. was being right. tried and convicted. Right. So you'd been in jail for about About three, two, two, two years. to three okay. years, yeah. So the so and I didn't want to see the film. I had no interest in true crime or any. I just it's just not a genre I'm interested in. So I just a friend of mine wanted to see it, and I said, I'm not at all interested in seeing that movie. But as things happen in this world, something instinctually at the last minute said, "Go see that film." Who knows? But I ended up sitting in a rainy theater on a Monday night, seeing a almost three hour long documentary, and I was just floored. After, I mean, sitting there, the whole audience was. But um, I'm from the South and was raised in a fundamentalist uh, Christian home. So I understood what was going on with the um, community down there, with the, you know, the satanic scare. And my heart just went out to Damien because I was kind of like a different person. Explain that because at that that still happens, I think, today. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, Christian community, mm-hmm. Baptist mostly. Yeah. Uh, and you're not. No. So describe what you are because you talk about it in the book. By the way, part of the reason I want to – I don't want to be clear on this. This book is beautifully written. Thank you. Uh, it's called High Magic with a K at the end of the magic. And the, t- the subtitle is A Guide to the Spiritual Practices That Saved My Life on Death Row, which I, we're going to get into in a second. But, you know, th- th- this is what we're starting with. And th- I, if I'm a Baptist growing up in West Memphis and I see this guy walking around, I'm not sure what to make out of him. Well, keep in mind in, in that kind of community, too, like when I grew up, I can remember, you know, like preachers just like railing against things like yoga. You know, this is back in the really early 90s, late 80s when they were saying yoga is satanic. You know, this is a, a kind of mindset in this community where if you are a Buddhist or a Hindu, you're a Satanist. You just don't know that you're a Satanist. You're being misled by demons into thinking there's something else. You know, they're taking you to the state of enlightenment, but in reality, they're leading you down this path towards hell. They literally believe this. So when you're talking about things like ceremonial magic, you know, that takes it to a whole nother level. Is be, I'm only asking because I have friends who were in cults, so to speak, and there was a satanic element. I mean, they did practice animal sacrifice, and is that not part of your ritual magic? Is Satan no. not an element at no, all? No, that, that's an entirely Christian concept, and these are practices. Ceremonial magic goes all the way back to ancient Sumer. There are two ways of understanding mythology. 
you know, and by mythology, I mean the Bible, I mean the Torah, I mean uh, the Quran, I mean the ancient Sumerian tablets. There are two levels on which these things can be read, what we think of as front speech and what we think of as back speech. Front speech would be to read them straightforward the way people in religions read them straightforward. You know, they take these things at least to some extent literally. You know, like, for example, if you're a Christian, then you literally believe that this guy named Jesus was the son of God who came to save people from sin, take them to heaven, all this sort of thing. Front speech becomes religion. That's like for the masses who don't want, who don't actually, you know, spend their lives, dedicate their lives to understanding what these techniques and practices are. Back speech, on the other hand, was sort of for the priest, the like higher caste of society, the people who would be related to the king. Back speech is understanding that what you're reading when you're reading these things are encoded techniques. What magic is, what ceremonial magic is, is the Western path to enlightenment. It starts off in ancient Sumer and would eventually spread throughout every culture in the world. It would become every religion that we know today. You know, for example, the three major uh, what we call gods of ancient Sumer would be um, Anu, Enlil, and Inki. When they are transported to India, they become Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. You know, uh, the Holy Trinity. We think of the Trinity as like a Christian concept, and it's not. It has existed since the very dawn of human civilization. Ceremonial magic is about understanding the backstory, the back speech behind these things, and doing the actual practices. You know, not believing uh, the stuff like um, anything from animal sacrifice on one hand to, you know, stories like Noah and the ark on the other. You know, it's it's about knowing that this story is not actually about a man who put a bunch of animals on a boat to save them from a flood. What that's referring to, you know, just this one example, and I won't go on about this forever, but just this one example of, of Noah and the ark. All of these practices deal with... Um, star systems essentially is what you're you're looking at. You know, for example, uh, humanity has sort of progressed through this evolution of going from polytheism to monotheism over time. Well, when you're looking at like ancient Sumer, that starts off with polytheism. All of these stories lead one into the next. From polytheism, you go into Judaism. Judaism is like a very thinly veiled version of the Sumerian stories. You know, for example, in, in Sumer, the moon god Sin, when you get to Judaism, he becomes Moses. It's like we, what we think of as a dispensation. All of this is based on the sun, the astrological signs. You know, for example, in Sumer, um, the sun would have risen when it would have risen on the spring equinox. It would have been in the sign of Taurus during the age of Judaism. That's why in Sumer, when you see the kings, the gods, they're all wearing these helmets with bullhorns on them because it's the age of Taurus. When it then progresses to Judaism, you're talking about the time whenever whenever the sun would have risen for that 2,100 years, it would have risen in the sign of Aries, which is why you hear all the stuff. It's symbolism about the Jews sacrificing rams, goats, the scapegoat. They blow the horn made out of a ram's horn, all of this sort of stuff. All it is is you're, you're changing religion based on the sun signs. You go from Judaism into Christianity, which would have been the next 2,100 years, which would be the age of Pisces, which was why Christ was represented by a fish. Whenever he goes to feed the masses, how does he feed them? With two fish, the sign of Pisces. Christ and the 12 disciples represent, represent the sun and the 12 signs of the zodiac. When you're talking about something, going back to the story of Noah for a second— 
Noah taking these animals onto an ark. Anytime you hear about animals in the Bible, in the Torah, in any of these religions, what you are hearing about are coded symbols for the zodiac, star systems, constellations. Noah taking these animals onto the ark represents someone preserving these teachings so that they will be passed on to future generations in the world, that they won't be lost due to tumultuous, turbulent times in, in human history, civilizations, that this will be a continued lineage. And that's what high magic is. It is a current of energy and teachings that extend from modern day all the way back through Christianity, all the way back through Judaism, all the way back through the ancient traditions of Sumeria. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm at a bit of bias here. I, I was so blown away on the show by how erudite you are, how thoughtful you are about just the words that you pick. And how, how does a kid growing up, son of a 15-year-old mother, 16-year-old child in desperate poverty, quitting school in ninth grade, how did you put all these pieces together? I think it's it's really two things. One was I had almost 20 years to do a lot of reading. So I read a lot. You know, I'm working on now, I'm already in the editing process for the book that will come after this. This is my fourth book. I think you cannot write unless you read a lot. I learned how to write from reading. When I was in prison, I would average you know, anywhere from three to five books a week. The other half of the equation, I believe, and and I honestly believe this, is ceremonial magic. You know, we know now we're learning in science about like different brain states, you know, like alpha and, and these different states that your brain goes into. Well, what we're learning now is that whenever you reach the really high end of this frequency and the really low end of this frequency, what sort of happens is the two hemispheres of your brain start to function as one. You know, it's not like two different things anymore. I believe whenever that happens, it enhances your ability to learn and remember. And, and honestly, it's what allowed me to get over like the tremendous post-traumatic stress disorder that I was experiencing whenever I first got out, things of that nature. So, you know, I, I really do think it is from reading a lot, and a lot of it is from the practices of ceremonial magic. You basically became a monk. I mean, there, if there's any silver lining about what, what happened to you, you're, you're tossed in a, in a sensory deprivation chamber, uh, but not the good kind. No, it's better than college, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Why, why did I waste my time more. in med school? <laughs> That's God. exactly what I, what happened. When I first walked into to prison, I would see a lot of people in there that would start to stagnate, degenerate. You know, 10 years down the road, they're the exact same person they were when they walked into the door or in a worse condition. You know, mental illness starts to set in, all sorts of things going on. A guy told me whenever I first went in, like within two or three days of walking into the, the doors of death row, he said, you're going to do one of the two things in this cell. You're going to either sit in that cell and go insane, or you can turn the cell into a monastery and keep trying to improve yourself, grow in some huh. way. And that's what I tried to do to the absolute best of my ability. Oh, so let me pick up the story that we love, because Lori's part of this yeah, is just, passing. Yeah, you just no, 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 ditched her completely. Did <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm also curious about when, when you found him, you come from a traditional Christian background, but there are a lot of things that you talk about that are very threatening to a traditional Christian theology. Well, oh, yes. how, how did you deal with that? I mean, yes, he's this very handsome, compelling. That may not have been the know, lead comment to I her parents. It, I think it probably was like the lead, like, whoa, this guy's really interesting and I could, and handsome. Um, but, I, 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 and I, I could help him. I can save him. But, <laughs> but there are some things that might have been off-putting at the, given where you were from as well, no? Absolutely. And I think that there are still some questions being asked in, around my family um, because they are very, it's a very, you know, I grew up in a very, as you say, traditional uh, 
Christian home, and we're talking, no, Southern Baptist, very literal in their understanding of the Bible. Um, And I'm very... I'm respectful of people. I mean, certainly my family and everyone. It's I'm just respectful of whatever anyone believes. But by that time, by the time I met Damien, I had already left those teachings and beliefs behind and was kind of charting my own path. I hadn't... I mean, I'm grateful Damien's taught me a great deal. So I, I practice magic too. Um, but we start, I started out... When I first met him, he was sitting... Um, Zazen, and so I found a local Buddhist uh, center, and I started sitting because it was just something that I knew was going to help me because I was in a very stressful situation when I got to Arkansas. So yes, uh, the answer to your question, very threatening to a lot of people because it threatens their very the foundation of their belief system, and that's that's tough. So you got Johnny Depp, Peter Jackson, a bunch of folks get behind. Damien, because they see the, the documentary, to your point, they otherwise would not have known about it, although there are many Damien's probably in prison right now. And there's no DNA evidence linking you. Uh, so they start to get behind you and start to lobby. And in the middle of all the story, you, you start moving from being an advocate for reevaluating this to, 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 to falling in love with them. Yeah, that wasn't really in my uh, long-range plan for life. Were you a lawyer? I was a landscape architect. So how would a landscape landscape architect be able to get someone out of prison? With a lot of help from people (laughs) who knew what they were doing. But that... What happened was when when I went to Arkansas in 1998, he had a pro bono attorney, and which meant... I mean, I love pro bono attorneys, but they don't have a lot of time to work on the case. So... I realized what we needed to do was raise funds to hire attorneys and investigators and all of the expertise that we were going to need, but I had no idea what I was doing. Slowly, people would come on board, um, and actually Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson, their knowledge was unbelievable. They're in the middle of making King Kong, for heaven's sakes. I'm getting 20 emails a day from Fran Walsh. Go see this forensic pathologist. Call this person. Drive up to this courthouse in in Missouri and look through their, which is what I was doing, they would give so much direction and why they know about this stuff. I have no idea, but they were great. And then we eventually got some really amazing attorneys and investigators, forensic scientists. We just built a huge team, but it cost, I mean, it was very expensive. But back to the love part. Getting a a man off death row is easy. Getting happily married. Now we're talking about a child. There's real magic there. So, so I mean, I, I, but I mean, literally, what do you call you? Hey, mom, mom, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm getting married. Did you manifest Ta- her while you're sitting in jail? <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody did. <laughs> it was. We started. I wrote to him after I saw the film. Uh, I wanted. All I knew was I wanted to help in some way. I didn't know. I, I felt a very. I felt a connection to him just because of. I understood. Like I said, because of the community. So I wrote to him and asked what I could do to help maybe send books. I mean, I was here in Manhattan. He was in Arkansas. He wrote back. We started writing. And I, his letters were incredible. I mean, you hear him speak. His letters were just so thoughtful and um, beautifully written. And before you know it, we're writing all the time, every day. And then he starts calling me. And, you know, within not too long, I realized there's something very, very special here. And at the same time, there was a great deal of fear for me. 
I mean, it's, but it's almost like I didn't have time for the fear. It just, it, I felt like I just got into this river and started going and things just started happening. And before you knew it, and I, I never looked back. And yes, I did. I, I fell in love with them. We fell in love with each other and it was intense. And it was, there's something about, of course, the situation that just made it even more emotional uh, because of what was at stake. Um, but we're both very, I think, intense people. So no matter what was going to happen, it was going to be, you know, we're going to hit, hit us hard. And it did. More questions after the break. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn for from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. So as you're going through this, trying to get him off, you get married while he's still in prison. Damien, you're meeting me while our you know, the worst thing possible was to give someone hope and then take it away from them again. Yes. You know, so if you described earlier, it's sort of a challenge. Anyway, what was your relationship like with the other inmates? And I know there's a story, if you don't mind sharing with everybody, about a pecan pie on yeah, death row. Yeah. I mean, you don't develop friends in prison the way people out here think of the word. In prison, the best you're going to hope for is that you find someone that you have this agreement and that you can count on where you know that no matter what, I'm going to watch your back and you're going to watch mine. And I was fortunate enough to develop friends like that 
through the years that I was in prison. But it, it's also very difficult. When I first got to prison, for probably the first three years that I was there, I kept waiting for some person to walk through the door that I can actually have a conversation with, like a like a normal conversation. I'm not talking about even, you know, about like magic or religion or anything else, just like a normal conversation. And it did not happen. And then finally, after about three years, it hit me. It's not going to happen because normal people don't kill people. You know, your average IQ of people on death row is about 85. And that's average. You've got a lot that are below that. Uh, you know, one the example the U.S. That you military just, won't take people in less than eighty-two. Yes, because right? it's too dangerous to train them. Yes, and and you know, you would have people that like the example that you just gave the guy with the pecan pie. This is a man that whenever they get ready to execute him, he had shot himself and, and effectively given himself a lobotomy, shot himself in the head, but survived. They still take him to trial, sentence him to death. When it comes time to execute him, they ask him what he wants for his last meal. He says pecan pie. He eats half of the pie. Whenever they come to get him to execute him, he wraps the other half of the pie up and says he's going to save that until afterwards. Mm. He cannot even grasp the fact that these people are about to kill him. Oh, my goodness. So you get through this. And uh, th- there's that moment when you find out he's actually getting out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, h- h- how does that hit you? Well, he said something before which was exactly the same for me. I just went into shock because the conditions of his release were uh, an Alfred plea. And they had all of these. And, 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 and so... What the state had asked of us was we couldn't tell anyone he was getting out. So in order to prepare, I had no way to prepare. We had no place to live. I didn't know where we were going to live. I didn't, you know, we had no money because everything I had had gone into the case. So, I mean, it's just this sort of free-falling suddenly and trying to prepare for this release, and then it ended up getting delayed. We thought it was three days. and ended up being seven days or nine days. I can't remember. Every minute matters then. It does. And just trying to figure out how we were going to live in this. And it did feel like a bomb just went off because I had to just leave. We had to just leave Arkansas. And thankfully, Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson gave us a place to live here in the city for a year. So we had a place to live. And Slowly, you know, things started falling into place, but I was faced with the knowledge that I I didn't know how to take care of him. I mean, we're talking about someone who's extremely in, in deep trauma. Fragile. I'm, I'm not prepared. I don't know what to do. I mean, to this day, I look back on it, and it's heartbreaking to me because he suffered, and I didn't know how to take care of him. I mean, did, it's, did you find someone who could help you? We were thrown into this media circus, and so oh. we were, for two years, he had a book on the New York Times bestseller list. We had a film that came out at Sundance and then went into, you know, major distribution. So for two years, we're touring and on planes, and he's literally ha- had two nervous breakdowns that we didn't have him ho- hospitalized. He didn't want to be—we didn't know what—I didn't know what I was doing, basically. So it, this— I'm curious. My idea of magic is always a, a way of a seen as a way of changing the natural plane. So manipulating reality, for lack of a better way of describing it. How did you use magic 
to deal with your psyche when you're having these nervous breakdowns. Well, a lot of it, I think what you're describing is the aspect of magic that most people are familiar with. That's the aspect that people think of when they think of magic. And and that could be from anything from, you know, like old stories of wizards doing this or that all the way up until modern times with stuff like uh, the, the Secret or um, – the law of attraction, mm-hmm. things of that nature. So that's the stuff that people are becoming more familiar with now and realizing that, yes, we can have an effect on ourselves and uh, to some extent on our environment and everything else due to this. But that is like a side effect of magic. And by side effect, I'll give you one example of what made me, like Lori said a while ago, I used to sit in meditation. When I was on death row, I actually received ordination in the Rinzai's Japan, the Rinzai tradition of Japanese Buddhism, which was what used to train the samurai in ancient Japan. I had a Zen master that would come from Japan to the prison to teach me. I sat Zazen for probably three to four hours a day. Sitting Zazen is cross-legged? Um, usually, if you're doing the traditional Japanese style, you're sitting almost on your knees. Instead of cross-legged, you're sitting in what they call Siza position. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did that for hours a day. And trying to experience some of the things that I had read you were supposed to experience with this kind of meditation, you know, like being more in the present moment, uh, feeling less stress and anxiety or, or feeling less uh, anger and resentment at your situation, circumstances. And I felt like I never was really getting that. So at a certain point, I realized that, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to go back to the Western method of obtaining these same results. Now, I did not, at the time, I thought magic was exactly what you just said. I didn't realize there was a higher aspect to it. I thought it was about changing your reality. Uh, What happened one day is Lori came to see me and I sat on the bed and reached over to put my shoes on and it was like a bomb went off inside my head. I realized for the first time in my entire existence, I was actually in the present moment, something that I had not experienced with years of Zazen practice. Of course, you know, the second you realize that, it's it's shattered and you're right back to conceptual right. thinking, things like that. But I saw for the first time what was possible. You know, I saw that I wasn't even trying to experience that. I was just doing the regular practices of magic and that happened as a side effect. It, it felt to me, you know, to, to someone else, it might sound like a small, insignificant thing. But to me, it was absolutely life-changing. I realized that doing these practices has a tremendous effect on our psyche and on our consciousness. Give us one practice, just one concrete thing for the listener, because I want them to actually get the book. And, you know, you'll... You'll get some insights and some motivation from that. But just an example of something that you do right now even. Well, the, the main thing that I focus on and, and still to this day just because of what was done to me in like from people who sort of had that axe to grind against magic and didn't understand what it is. You hear the word pentagram and people automatically freak out. You know, they think that's something dark or satanic or whatever. It was one of the very first symbols of divinity in the world. There is nothing remotely dark or anything else about it. The main practice that I do now and I think that had the biggest effect on me is what in magic we call the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Now when you would first the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Exactly. When you would first go to a magical order, a lodge, whatever, and you would say, I want to learn magic and they would say, Well that's great. Here, take this, go do this for a year and then come back and talk to us if you still want to learn more. Most people aren't going to do it for a year. You know, most people think that magic is like a shortcut to money and sex or whatever the hell it is they want to manifest. 
if you do this practice, this is the thing. You'll have some people say, I don't believe in magic. I always think that that's not really what they mean. What they mean is they have never tried it for any extended period of time because if you do this, it will have a certain effect so, on you. But what you. do you do? You have the pentagram in front of you. Do you meditate like a mandala? No, you use a, um, the same energy that people are using in other practices like Reiki, Qigong, uh, Tai Chi. You are using an energy that we have a name for in every single culture in the world except ours. You know, like the Chinese call it Qi, the... Right. the Japanese you take that key. energy. You you use that to push energy out of your surroundings. So you're creating a sterile environment. You're pushing all energy out of your surroundings. Now, the reason that I did that, I didn't realize that that was going to have an effect on my psyche. The reason I was doing it in prison is because I knew energy is contagious. You know, like, for example, if you hang around people who complain all the time, eventually you're going to find yourself starting to complain. Well, I was in an environment with people who had, you know, done things like taken hatchets to old ladies for their social security checks or people who had molested children, people who had done every vile, foul thing that you can imagine. I did not want to interact with that energy. So for me, I was focusing on this practice as a way of sort of purifying myself. Think of it as almost like saging. That is the main practice that I do. And what it does that I realize in hindsight, looking back, think of it And I'll keep this short. Think of it like a glass of water. If you just leave a glass of water sitting somewhere, don't do anything to it. Eventually, it's going to stagnate. It's going to get a film on top of it. It's going to corrode and get disgusting. Well, if you take that glass of water, turn the faucet on in the sink and hold that glass under it and just let it overflow and overflow and overflow, eventually you are going to end up with a clean glass of water again. This is what you're doing to your energetic anatomy, to your psyche, and to your consciousness when you're doing the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. You're drawing in after you push the energy out of an area, nature abhors a vacuum. So you want to do something that's going to bring fresh, clean energy into that area so that the foul stuff doesn't just come back in whenever the barriers start to break down. You do this in the form of invoking the easiest way for us, and I can never say this word, whenever you give something a human form, anthropomorphification, that we do that in the form of archangels in magic. So you're working with particular archangels that you're drawing on the energy of to replace the stagnant energy that you're pushing out. You're flushing yourself out like that glass of water. Eventually what happens is it flushes you out to the deepest levels of your consciousness and you experience the disintegration of what we think of as ego, of self. You realize there is no self. You know, it's almost like it's just the energetic equivalent of a blood clot. If that doesn't get you psyched up to read more about Damien, <laughs> I don't know what will. Please pick up. It's a brand new book. called High Magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, High Magic, A Guide to the Spiritual Practices That Saved My Life on Death Row. I am continually impressed by Thank what you. The, the sage insights you've gained about life. Laura, you have very good taste in men. <laughs> Thank you. Same but he has better taste in You have better taste in women. I'm just going to say that's true. God bless you both. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much for having us. Thank you. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules 
day. Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.